Hello, and welcome to Wellness Wednesday with 3W. Wellness Wednesday is sponsored by 3W Medical for Women, a nonprofit medical clinic offering free of charge or low-cost reproductive health services to women in the Seattle area, regardless of income or insurance status. 3W does not profit off of the reproductive health choices women make. The information shared in this podcast is the opinion of the speaker or speakers. Medical information is not intended as individual medical consultation, but for general education only. Always consult your own health professional for personalized advice regarding medical decisions. And if you're in the Seattle area, consider making an appointment to consult with us. I'm Helen Nguyen, CEO and co-founder of 3W Medical for Women and the host of today's podcast. Hi there, Wellness Wednesday listeners. This is Helen Nguyen, CEO of 3W Medical for Women. Thank you so much for joining us again this Wednesday. This is another tough podcast that I'm recording, and it's tough because our guest today, Brian Halleck, who's an attorney, he's part of my community. And I'm so thankful for him to to share his story, but it's going to be a hard one to hear. I know that he's moved on, moved past it, but he's going to be approaching his personal experience with his struggle and his past with pornography. And I'm just so thankful for you, Brian, for, for sharing this story with us today. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to start out and, and your story is powerful. So I just want you to go with the flow and, and let you share with our listeners. This is a tough topic because it's in the, it's in the media a lot right now, especially with the, the famous singer, Billie Eilish. I think she just came out and, and said that she started watching pornography at a very, very, very young age and how it's like really terrible for you. I I feel like that's the first time a celebrity has really come out to say that. And she's gotten very mixed feedback about her testimony. When Brian was so open and, and honest with me, I said, can you, can you share this with our podcast listener? So just to dive in, Brian, when, when did it start for you? When did you first start watching pornography at what age and, and kind of what platform? So I'm, I'm about 50 years old. And so, you know, this would have been in the 1970s, right? Okay. And so it's in those days, pornography was not as accessible. And so it'd be mm-hmm. mostly print media. And then maybe mm-hmm. in the 1980s, you know, it kind of went to video cassettes. And these would all be things that we would essentially access through an older relative, right? Some mm-hmm. older relative who thought they were being surreptitious of having some pornography under the mattress or something like that. And then mm-hmm. when they're at work, the kids go through their parents' bedroom and find stuff and then <laughs> and, and, and and look at it. And, and I probably starting from about age 10, and I, I never thought of it as anything, that there was anything wrong with it. It just seemed a, sort of like a normal a normal thing. Of course, you know, it wasn't that easy. It's not like easy as it is today to access, Mm -hmm. but it was something that was just sort of a normal part of my life. And then of course, when I became an adult, then it just, it kind of flowed from there. Okay. It never occurred to me that there was anything really wrong with pornography until about maybe 15 years ago or so. And I was sort of fresh off of a divorce and Mm -hmm. I, uh, I was doing what you're supposed to do after you get divorced, which is date a lot. And so I was out in the dating world and I, I had, you know, kind of an unholy mixture of, of money and youth and time, you know, that gives you a lot of opportunities to be out there and and in that planet. Mm -hmm. And I found myself really spending a lot of time trying to 
meet women, but not to have relationships with them. I mean, women were primarily for me, mostly sexual objects. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really understand that there was a problem until one day my circle of male friends were all married at the time and and they were kind of living vicariously through my single guy lifestyle. <laughs> and so we went out to dinner and they wanted to hear, you know, my latest exploits. And I had had a particularly active week that week with multiple sexual partners. And, and I was just kind mm-hmm. of talking about the experience and they were high-fiving and having a great time with it. And as I was driving home, I felt very depressed Mm. And I wasn't really sure why. And I, I was thinking to myself, you know, it's very strange that, you know, these guys think that I'm somehow doing something very positive and yet mm-hmm. I'm not feeling anything positive from it. If mm-hmm. uh, if anything, every interaction that I would have would just make me feel more empty inside. And mm-hmm. I felt like, okay, there's something's fundamentally wrong here. And that's when I started to kind of do a little bit of introspection. And in those days, the idea of sexual addiction wasn't really very well known or well talked about. And there's a lot of people in in both academic circles and political circles that want to sort of kind of suppress that idea that there could be sexual addiction because it, for them, it means that we're essentially stigmatizing sexual activity. Mm-hmm. But I started to think that maybe that I was I had a sexual addiction. Now, I had a lot of experience with working with people who had alcoholic addictions Mm -hmm. and narcotic addictions. And so using that sort of kind of mold, I started to kind of really work on myself and try to decide, you know, what's what's wrong here? Why is it that that, you know, these interactions that I'm having with women, which are almost exclusively sexual in nature, Mm -hmm. were not fulfilling? And Mm -hmm. in fact, actually that week that I had multiple sexual partners on that drive home, one of the things that came to me was. I couldn't remember a few of those women's names mm. and it really brought it home to me that something was really fundamentally wrong. Mm-hmm. One of the things when you deal with people with addiction is you look for the triggers, the things that cause them to engage in self self-destructive behavior. Mm-hmm. And what it occurred to me was it was very obvious that it was my voracious consumption of pornography. Mm-hmm. And, and so it seemed like the pornography was leading me down a path where there was no interaction with a woman that would be satisfying enough. Mm-hmm. And I would always promise myself, well, it'd be the next one mm-hmm. that would make me feel good inside. And I just kept feeling more empty and more empty. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd like to tell you that I stopped cold turkey with pornography right away. I, I, it was hard. I had to mm-hmm. work really hard at it. It was very much like an addict struggle uh, mm-hmm. where you would give yourself a few days and then of course you'd relapse and then maybe you could go a week and then you'd relapse. And, mm. but what happened was eventually when I moved away from pornography completely, and then of course, all of the things that flowed from that, you know, going to strip clubs or mm. going to a bar and looking for women who were look like they're emotionally or psychologically vulnerable, you know, those sorts of things you, you'd, purposely stay away from those those triggers but they all started with pornography and my friend group at the time was very very confused because mm. i was well known for having a a large you know sort of appetite for pornography and they couldn't believe that i sort of sort of stopped but then what would happen was a few of them would come to me knowing that i had sort of made this this journey and then they started sharing their experiences with me and it became very obvious to me that there was a the pornography was much more insidious than I had that I had been led to believe. And these were men who were in my age range who were 
struggling with infidelity. Some of them were going to see prostitutes, going on Craigslist, going to massage parlors. And then a few of them ended up being part of the criminal justice system. They actually took their addiction so far that they ended up being arrested and and being criminally prosecuted. Mm -hmm. And it became very apparent to me that there isn't actually a healthy level of pornography, that it is something that that when you introduce it, there is a cascading effect of self-injury that takes place. Mm -hmm. And that's not how it's portrayed in the media. And I think that it it becomes even worse now where the pornography is so on demand because of the nature of our electronics Mm -hmm. that we've now developed a a generation of young men who call themselves incels, involuntarily celibate, Mm -hmm. who are who have essentially sort of replaced normal, healthy sexual relations with pornography and masturbation. Mm -hmm. And and what happens is, you know, you, you know, and I want to share the story mainly because I think there's a lot of especially men out there who would identify with this, that really you have to be careful when you rationalize why you're doing what you're doing. And what men will do is they will, you'll basically kind of make excuses. Well, it's, it's a healthy part of my sex life, or mm-hmm. it's uh, you know, I'm an aficionado, which is, it sounds a bizarre term, but a lot of men will say this, that they, they somehow look at it as a sort of artistic art form or something mm. like that. Mm. But what really happens is, and what you have to do if you're listening to this, is ask yourself this question is, is is that pornography replacing something that should otherwise be there in a healthy relationship with a woman? Mm. And what I started to find was that when I left that world, suddenly my interactions with women became much more fulfilling, much more broad-based. I started to see women as as companions, as someone that could be supportive of me and I could be supportive of them. Um, I I mean, it sounds awful to say this, but I actually cared what they thought. Mm -hmm. And then when I look back at that person that I was before, I didn't care. I didn't care what they thought. I just Mm -hmm. literally was waiting for that opportunity where I could manipulate them into wanting to have sexual relations with me. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the men that I've encountered that have had much more injurious lifestyle choices. I never place myself in a position of saying that I'm better than them. I could have been them because the nature and trajectory in which that pornography addiction takes you eventually leads to those logical conclusions. Again, if you're listening to this and you find yourself, ask yourself this question that when you first started watching pornography, was the type of pornography you're watching less aggressive before, less violent, Mm -hmm. less exploitative of women. Mm -hmm. And then now you've had to push yourself to something that's much more aggressive, much Mm -hmm. more demeaning Mm -hmm. Do the people that you're seeing on that screen. Do they, do they look like they're, they're being exploited or they're being demeaned? Your mind has gotten so much of the dopamine, dopamine rush. Yeah. Yeah. That you need more and more, much like a drug addict. Mm -hmm. And, um, and frankly, the science here is now incontrovertible. Everything from the National Institute of Health to the Journal of American Medical Association studies in the United States and Canada and Western Europe have shown now that consumption of pornography has deleterious effects on brain chemistry. Mm-hmm. They have shown now young people who the elasticity of their brain tissue mm-hmm. has been degraded in in a way that you would normally see in people who are Alzheimer's patients. Wow. And so it is it is very, very dangerous in terms of what it does to you. And it is a very real addiction in the very real sense of the word. And so if you're, you know, if you're finding that that pornography is replacing some aspect of your normal relations, if now 
in terms of heterosexual relations with a mm-hmm. woman, mm-hmm. you have to stop and, and, and really kind of do this sort of introspection. And it's not easy. Mm-hmm. And you do need to seek out resources because unfortunately you get bombarded with pornographic images and they don't even have to be traditional pornography. Even mm-hmm. regular television shows today have basically border on, on almost soft, yeah, por- soft porn. Soft core, yeah. And, it, and, and any of these things can form triggers. You know, mm-hmm. we were... My wife and I were just at a restaurant the other day and we parked and and there was a bikini barista kind yeah. of within eye shot. And, yeah. I, and I, I had to sort of duck my head down because I and it, it sounds a bit odd, but those are triggers. Those mm-hmm. are things that will cause those sorts of mental images to come into your mind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I was deep in ensconced in that addiction, it creates a very rich fantasy life, but one that is uh, very unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And doesn't lead to successful relationships and certainly leads to self-destructive behavior. Yeah, yeah. So um, thank you so much for that story. It's so layered and I have so many questions. Sure. But to, to go back, so you said you started at at age 10. Mm-hmm. And like you said, there, you know, back in the 70s, there, there wasn't as much like on demand. It's not on your phone. It's not right. on YouTube. All of that stuff wasn't then. So did it start with like Playboy magazines? Yeah. And, and Absolutely. Like, so did you ever get caught? Did your parents ever <laughs> walked in and said, what, yeah. Brian, what are you reading? Or how'd you get your hands on that? You yeah. Know? It, you know, you had to be real careful, right? You had to put the, everything back just the way you found it. <laughs> you got very, very professional. Almost, you know, we make the joke that when you when you're young and you start to accumulate your own little collection mm-hmm. of it, you create like the bat cave yeah. and uh, you know, you're hiding it behind the mattress or behind the headboard or you, know, yeah. you find all kinds of weird cubby holes to, to, to put this stuff away. And just cause you don't want your parents to catch you. But, but what's strange about it is, is that that taboo aspect of it sort of added or lent itself to it being kind of almost like a fun game. Mm-hmm. And as a young man and my, you know, my friends, we, we all, we all enjoyed it. We all thought that there was nothing wrong with this. And mm-hmm. then when we got to about college age and we started taking, you know, your, your classic liberal arts mm-hmm. human sexuality class where they, they actually, in my first week of a human sexuality class at the university of Washington, they played a pornographic movie right in there in Kane hall yeah. and in front of everybody. Yeah. And it was a pornographic movie there. There's no other way to describe it. Right. And this was a, I'm not exactly sure what it was meant to accomplish other than Hey, we signed up for the right class. We were all excited and happy and like, this is cool. Yeah. But, but the truth of the matter is, is it doesn't bring anything positive to the table. And what ends up happening is you do, you do rationalize it. I rationalize it by saying that I was a, a kind of an artistic aficionado. I, I met people who were in the industry and I, that somehow that made this some more of a kind of a legitimate Mm-hmm. you know, exercise. And, but what you, what you actually, interestingly enough, when you find out, when you meet people who are in the industry is you meet people who are, who are broken people. And mm. they're the first ones that'll tell you that if they've been in the industry long enough, that they're, they suffer tremendously from depression, suicidal ideation, ideation, many of the, uh, of the things that the rest of us suffer from, from porn addiction, they mm-hmm. suffer from on the front end and the porn production. Right. And so it, it's, it's really rough. There are two men in particular that I know in my life. And one of them I recently visited in prison who were convicted of, of charges related to underage, underage sexual activity. Mm-hmm. The truth of the matter is, I don't think that they were, they started their planet off as pedophiles mm-hmm. really in talking to them their pedophilia was a natural outgrowth of 
progressively more and more aggressive pornography. Mm. And soon it just became like nothing was enough. Mm -hmm. And they just needed to get that next more aggressive fix. Mm. One man in particular, the one that I just recently visited in prison, you know, I was asking him about, about pornography. And mm -hmm. what's interesting is, is in every single case, there isn't a single exception to the rule. Every single person tells me that they have a high consumption level of pornography. I have never met someone who has sexual dysfunction who has not told me that they don't consume voracious amounts of, of mm -hmm. pornography. This particular guy, he liked the pornography that depicts young girls. And of course, the people that produce it do a very good job of making sure that they don't get caught selling child pornography. Mm -hmm. But there are women that despite the fact that they're over 18, they look, look very young. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's marketed to these men who who have a sexual attraction to girls and who are in their young teens. Mm -hmm. And he became addicted to that type of porn to the point where he told me, I, I said, you know, how did this happen? He said, well, you know, one day I was just walking past my daughter's room and his daughter was a young teenager and he couldn't help himself. And he raped his daughter. Wow. And Gosh. I don't wow. think this man, you know, if you were to ask me, outside looking in and I'd never met him before, I would tell you to burn him at the stake because mm. for me, something like that is about as evil as it gets. Yeah, and I'm not saying that he didn't do a horrendously evil act, mm -hmm. but in talking to him, I understand the road that he went down mm -hmm. and he was a, a highly, highly successful, high functioning man. Mm -hmm. So this is not somebody that's a, you know, sort of that kind of the classic drag of humanity. This is somebody mm -hmm. that was a very, very high functioning, uh, well-respected person in his industry, wealthy, in mm -hmm. fact. Mm -hmm. uh, but that pornography addiction took him down a road where he literally altered his brain chemistry, uh, much the same way wow. a, a heroin addict would. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, you'll, you'll see drug addicts will rob people. And mm -hmm. the truth is, I don't think these people are are natural criminals. Mm -hmm. It's just that they've gotten to a point of desperation in their life where now robbing somebody to get the money for the drugs seems like the only logical outlet. Mm -hmm. And in this man's life, raping his daughter seemed like an acceptable life choice mm -hmm. in that moment, mm -hmm. even though I'm sure he understood the gravity and, and severity of his actions. But if you, if you really track it back, it tracked it to his pornography addiction. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, not everybody's going to end up like that. Yeah. But what you do see is, is whereas for every one person like that, there's a hundred people who are on that track track right uh, that track they're yeah. unable to be they're not unable to have monogamous relationships yeah. they'll cheat on their spouse uh -huh. they will they will not have good functioning sexual relationships with, with their partner yeah and and it's because the pornography had and obviously pornography and masturbation go together it has replaced a a an important aspect of their life mm -hmm. and so you know it's one of those things where now having the breadth of, of time and, and being able to look back on it, mm -hmm. I understand what was happening. And, and of course, I'm, I'm very thankful and grateful to my wife and, you know, many aspects of my life, including my faith that, that got me out of that, mm -hmm. that cycle. But I also understand that, that anybody can be a victim of it. I can't ever become arrogant in my belief that maybe, you know, I'm, I'm somehow past this. It's a, you know, I don't know what, what permanent negative effects I've, I've done to my brain chemistry as a result of mm -hmm. years, decades, decades of, of pornography addiction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When did you see a progression in your, you, you said you were consuming porn at a large amount. What, what is that? I guess like, is that hours sure. that you, that you can 
grass um, and how ma- how many hours is that? And right. did it progress? It, it sounds like you kind of started with softcore porn, looking mm-hmm. at imagery and stuff like that. Did it progress for you sure. into hardcore porn? Yeah, yeah, d- certainly. You know, the magazines and and other purient objects are are are, are interesting, mm-hmm. but. But once you start to progress to the to the sort of the video imagery, it, it does take on a life of its own. One of the hallmarks of addiction is, is, is there something healthy that I would like to do right now, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to put it off in favor of my addiction. Mm-hmm. And certainly that was the case with respect to pornography. Maybe I wanted to go grab a cup of coffee or watch a movie or hang out with a friend and, and have a beer or something like that. Oftentimes, if I have not had my pornography fixed for the day, that would get pushed to the wayside and that took precedence. And the problem with it was, was it then spurred me on to wanting to have relationships with women that were purely sexual in nature mm-hmm. and, but they were never enough. And mm-hmm. so it would, wouldn't be unusual for me literally five minutes after leaving a woman's house to never call her again, forget her name, mm-hmm. you know, delete her phone number from my phone. Mm-hmm. And because she ceased to function for me, mm-hmm. she ceased to have any use for me because of, of that. And then, it, but then I would immediately retreat to the pornography as if that somehow kind of bridged that gap. And it didn't. Mm-hmm. And it just made you, made me feel progressively more empty inside. Mm-hmm. For other friends of mine that I've talked to, and they don't, you know, this is not something that men feel comfortable sharing with each other because it, it almost feels like a, like a defeat. Uh, one of the things that men pride themselves on is their sexual prowess um, mm-hmm. amongst each other, amongst their peer group. That's something that we, we take great pride in. It's not, not something I'm proud to say, but it is something that is that's quite common. Mm-hmm. To, to admit that you have an inability to, to function with your wife, it's hard. It's mm-hmm. very, very difficult. And a lot of men will tell me some variation of, I'm simply not attracted to her, or I'm simply unable to perform sexually with my wife in a normal way. Mm-hmm. But if I go to the massage parlor, that works, you know, and what mm-hmm. that is, is that is a, a a fundamental altering of their brain chemistry due to years and years and years of pornography addiction. Mm-hmm. And what's happened is, is their wife ceases to have that same ability to satisfy uh, and have a normal sexual relationship with. And somehow now I need something new. I need something different, much the same way a drug addict might try moving from heroin to meth or something Mm -hmm. of that nature. Mm -hmm. And so it, and it's, unless you have an ability to stop what's happening, you go down a very, very dark road. And unfortunately now we've gotten to a stage where we're now decriminalizing prostitution Mm -hmm. in an effort to be you know, more humane to the people who are in that sex trade industry. But what we're forgetting is, is now what we're going to do is we're going to fuel these addicts Mm -hmm. who are out there. You know, I, I have nothing against the sex workers, but the men who are trafficking in these women, they're exploiting them Mm -hmm. and they, they don't even consciously or not even consciously aware that they're exploiting them. You know, for me, I had the benefit that I had time and money. Mm-hmm. And so I could spend my time and money finding women who were willing to have sexual relations with me. But these other men mm-hmm. don't. These other men, are they work all day. And so what they're going to do is they're going to go to Craigslist or a massage parlor or mm-hmm. drive down Aurora Avenue and mm-hmm. find a woman who is hurting and mm-hmm. needs money real badly and they're going to exploit her. Yeah, they're going to use that. And them. nobody in that interaction is coming out of it with anything positive. Right. And so that's unfortunately kind of the end result 
But what we forget is, is what the trigger, initial trigger was. And that initial trigger was the pornography. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that men who quote unquote, don't find their wives attractive or can't perform with their wives, but then can perform with someone that they hardly even know, like at a massage parlor or someone they see, you know, off of Aurora. Is there a factor of like, I respect my wife, so I can't do those acts with her, but I can do it with a random person. I think that once you ensconce yourself in a hypersexualized fantasy life, your wife gets replaced she, she performs a lot of other functions for you. Mm-hmm. You know, she takes care of you. She supports you. She, she talks to you when you come home. She does all the other things for you that, mm-hmm. that you need in a companion, but she's, it's impossible for her to compete mm-hmm. with a hypersexualized fantasy life. Mm-hmm. Much in the same way, you know, when you watch a, a movie that's hyper dramatized, you know, like let's say an over the top violent movie. Mm-hmm. Real violence doesn't look like that. Mm-hmm. Real violence can never look like that. This is Hollywood. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a fantasy. Mm-hmm. And there is in the same way that when you have intimate relations with someone that you love, it's much more holistic than simply the actual act of sex. There is a, a giving and a receiving and a, and a mutual respect and, you know, an understanding of this bond is, is greater than yourself. Mm-hmm. That's what makes that sexual life healthy. Mm-hmm. But when you remove those elements out of it and it's simply stripped down to its base essence, it, it, she can't compete with what you see visually mm-hmm. in the pornography. It's just impossible. You're mm-hmm. talking about people who, who first of all, you know, they're, they're very attractive people. They, the manner in which the things that they do are just not realistic. Mm-hmm. I've talked to many women who, young women who find themselves unable to interact with young men because they think that real life sex, they want to emulate what they saw in pornography. And there's simply nothing that's loving about the way that is depicted. Mm. And so they're unable to find themselves finding a kind of a common bridge with their, with, with men because the men are just trying to copy what they see on screen. Yeah. And so your wife you know, as much as she may try, she can never compete with that hypersexualized fantasy life that you will gain from that pornography. Hi there, Wellness Wednesday with 3W listeners. I just wanted to inform you that we're going to be splitting this episode into a two-part episode since there's so much to talk about. Brian and I spoke for about an hour. And so please tune in next week for the second part of this really, really interesting, fascinating, and at times painful podcast. Thank you so much for hanging in there with us. We always appreciate every single one of you that gives us an opportunity to share with you stories and education education and information that could potentially change your life. So tune in for next week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. For more information about 3W, please visit our website at 3wmedical.org. That's the number three, the letter W, medical.org. From there, you can learn more information about the services we provide. Book an appointment or make a donation if you'd like to support our mission. You can also call our office at 206-588-0311. That's 206-588-0311. If you like this episode, please share it with others and consider subscribing on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, stay healthy and be well.